Upcenter Church, hey, thanks for tuning in today. We're going to get to a message in just a moment. Thank you uh, for tuning in, whether you're at home watching today or whether you're in some other part of the world. Thanks for being a part of, of Epicenter Church. God has blessed us in an extraordinary way that Epicenter's reach goes outside of our own zip code here, and so we're thankful for that. And this year we've had our initiative for 2018 is Together We Can, and together we have accomplished some incredible things for the cause of Christ through our Ways to Love projects and Hop in the Park and Roar and Operation Compassion and all of our um, initiatives that we've partnered with other agencies and ministries throughout our city and abroad around the world. And so I want to thank you for your, your generosity, but today I'm coming to you for a very specific reason. This time of the year, we do an offering called The Give. It is something that we're very excited about. It's something that you're able to help us further the ministry, the cause, the mission, the vision of Epicenter Church. And so if you call this church home or if this church has blessed you in some way, shape, fashion, or form, we're asking you to partner with us and to give it an offering, an offering that shows how blessed you've been of God. You're giving out of the blessing that God has blessed you with. And so this offering called The Give is going to go through or go to many different um, agencies and many different resources that we have uh, been able to uh, connect with throughout the years. One of which is our foster care initiative where we're able to adopt 200 plus teenagers for Christmas and we're able to gift them um, this Christmas because of your generosity. So I'm asking you to partner with us to help us further the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ through the work of Epicenter Church. Whether you're here in Fayetteville, whether you're in some other part of the country tuning in, whether you're on the other side of the world, God has blessed us with um, the ability to extend the gospel through um, the internet and abroad and through our internet campus. So if you would partner with us, pray about what God would have you do because this is an incredible time of the year where we're able to do things for the cause of Christ and we're able to show how God has blessed us by blessing others. So the end of the year offering is called the give. Obviously it's tax deductible. If you can't do an offering at Christmas time with the give, then consider uh, a recurring gift, a monthly gift, partnering with us throughout 2019 and beyond. Again, I want to thank you for your willingness to help. The Give is going to be an awesome venture. It starts on December 16th through the end of the year. But pray about what God would have you do, a sacrificial gift. Because just like Mary, she poured out a gift on Jesus, the alabaster jar of perfume. She gave out of her abundance. It was a sacrifice. And we're asking you to pray and to do the same. Because I believe people are going to be touched through this offering this Christmas time. The Give. Thank you. Be blessed. Epicenter Church. You're all. I believe. Somebody say season of grace. Look at your neighbor and say season of grace. Let me say this. I believe God has a word for somebody in this place today. In fact, I want you to look at your neighbor. Somebody look at your neighbor and say God has a word and it's for me. And then I want you to look at your second choice, the person that you did not choose, who's now battling feelings of insecurity because you did not choose them first, you chose them second, and say, it's also for you. Now, before we get into the verse of Scripture that I think has certainly become familiar to us through this series, I just want to give to you the title of today's message. Can I do that? That gift, that gift, somebody look at your neighbor and say, that gift. 
Look at your other neighbor and say, that gift. And then you can be seated. Let me explain that title. You can thank my wife, Kim, for that title. Because a couple of weeks ago, I said to her, I said, what is it that you want for Christmas? Maybe what do you want for Christmas? She said, that gift. I was like, what in the world does that gift mean? She said, that gift that looks like you gave it some thought. Not a gift that you walked into the mall and the very first thing you ran across on the shelves you purchased. I said, so you're saying that that hunting knife that I got you last Christmas is not that gift? You're saying those potholders that I got you a couple of Christmases ago do not meet the definition of that gift. How many of the men in this place feel my pain and can say, amen, amen, I'm with you. The more I began to think about that gift, my mind went to the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift humanity has ever known, and that is the gift that God gave us through Jesus Christ. Before we actually get into Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, I want to talk about that gift for a minute, at least that gift according to the Gospel of John. Because the Gospel of John, and this should refresh your memory, the Gospel of John opens up in a powerful way, not talking about Jesus in the manger, but rather talking about Jesus as the Messiah. He brings Jesus into into the picture when it comes to the creation story. He talks about Jesus not in the manger, but the mission of Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was made was made by Him, and nothing that has been made was made without Him. Then John in his gospel, so much differently than the other gospels, begins to lay out the specifics of that gift. Verse 14, John chapter 1, verse 14 says this, The Word became flesh and He made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Now, what you need to understand is this would be the first time the Jewish reader 2,000 years ago would have seen such a shocking statement. Because all of the other Gospels are a little more subtle when it comes to the introduction of Jesus Christ. Most of them begin with Jesus as a baby in the manger. Matthew in his Gospel, he traces Jesus back to Abraham. Mark in his Gospel, he traces Jesus back to, to Nazareth. Luke, in his gospel, he traces Jesus back to Adam. But John, in his gospel, he traces Jesus back to heaven. Therefore, Jesus is God. But then, he begins to tell you about that gift. In verse 16, look what it says. It says, out of his fullness, remember, he came full of grace and truth from the Father. And then, out of his fullness, we have all received, oh Lord, How many of you love receiving a gift? We have all received. You can either receive a gift and use it, or you can receive a gift and lose it. In this case, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Grace in place of grace. Unique verbiage. 
But if you've been here for any amount of time during this series, you understand that grace in place of grace was John articulating for us how grace works because he's painting for us this image of grace coming upon us from heaven in a wave. And as that wave begins to recede, another wave goes in its place. And as that wave begins to recede, another wave comes in its place. And as that grace begins to recede, there's another and another and another. It's a grace that will never, ever run dry. It's a grace that has a limitless supply. It is a grace that is not bound by your resources. It is a grace that is always more than enough. It's a grace that came upon Joseph in the Old Testament. Even though he was in prison, the Bible said God showed him favor amongst men. It is a grace that empowered David in the midst of his loneliness to cry out to God, and God showed up. It is a grace that enabled Joshua right in the midst of a battle with Jericho to overcome Jericho with just a shout and a victory march. It is a grace that enabled the, the, the paralyzed dude at the pool of Bethesda to pick up his mat and to go home. It is a grace that enabled Paul to write, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength even though he was about to die. It's a grace that enabled Jesus to be placed in a tomb. But then on the third day, grace rolled out of that grave. I feel like preaching. Has anybody in this place ever had that kind of grace? That grace where God looked around heaven and he said, I've got to give them a well thought out gift, a gift that shows that I care, a gift of love, a gift of help, a gift of salvation, a gift of of forgiveness, a gift of, of second chances, that kind of gift. Has anybody in this place in 2018 experienced that kind of gift? Then give him not 18 seconds of praise, but give him 19 seconds of praise because you're going to go ahead and praise him for the gift of 2019. Go, come on somebody, give him praise. I need to settle down. I won't be able to finish that message, this message like that. Somebody say, that gift. So here it's John in his gospel articulating for us who Jesus is. What Jesus does, the gift of his grace. However, John writes his gospel in retrospect. He has experienced the life, the events of Jesus. And so he can write this. But 700 years before this gospel unfolded, there was a prophecy that was given by Isaiah, the great prophet, about Jesus and the gift that he would bring to the world. Thank you, Carmen. This gift that he would bring to the world was brought about through this prophetic word that was given to the king of Israel. The king of Israel, his name was Ahaz. The king of Israel comes to Isaiah wanting to have a conversation with him because he's overwhelmed by what is taking place in his life at this moment because all hell has broke out in his life. 
You see, the Assyrian forces have now surrounded Jerusalem and the Assyrians have just knocked off all of these other nations and now they're bringing their forces against Jerusalem and, and here Ahaz has no clue as to what to do because they outnumber us, they're stronger than us, they're, 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 their weaponry is greater than us, their resources is more than ours and so what do I do? So he went to Isaiah at this time of need in his life, at this time of brokenness and insecurities and fear. I need an answer, Isaiah. I need you to help me with this because I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should build an alliance with another nation and maybe they'll help me defeat the Assyrians. I don't know if I should surrender. I don't know what to do. Now listen, just because you're not facing the same enemy that Ahaz was facing, do not disconnect from the story. Because the truth is, the enemy may not have surrounded your neighborhood, but many of you are battling the same feelings that Ahaz was battling. This Christmas season has brought upon you the feelings of loneliness and despair. Maybe this past year was not a good financial year for you. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe your relationships are hanging in the balance and you're looking for an answer. In fact, recently I had someone tell me that the Christmas spirit had not turned on yet for them this season. I began to think about that concept, the Christmas spirit turning on. Turning on the Christmas spirit. That it gives us an illusion that we can turn on the Christmas spirit and turn off the Christmas spirit. Then I began to think, hold on for a second. The Christmas spirit is not something that is a December mindset. It is a lifestyle. The celebration of grace is not something that we do on December 25th. It is something that we do 24-7, 365. So the issue is not that the Christmas spirit has not turned on for you yet. The real issue is because of life, you have turned off the Christmas spirit. Oh. Because of conditions, because of problems, because of the situation, because of the difficulty, because of the greed, because of the pain, because of the sorrow, because of the mistakes, because of this, because of that. You have allowed what is happening in your life to dictate to you how you feel. And because you have allowed what is happening in your life to dictate to you how you feel, you're just going through life checking the box. You're coming to church and you're not meeting with the Most High God. You're just checking the box. You're going to work and you wonder why your job seems monotonous and mundane, it's because you have not placed your hope in the one who brings you hope. And the reason for that is because you have allowed your faith to be turned off and your doubt to be turned on. Ahaz, the reason why you feel this way is because you've forgotten who God is. You've allowed what's happened in your life to dictate to you how you're going to feel. Now listen, I'm not minimizing what's happened to you. What I am saying is that some of you have allowed what's happened to you to keep you from remembering that wave after wave after wave of grace that God wants to give to you. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. And so Ahaz asked Isaiah for an answer. And Isaiah gives him an answer in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Roxanne, when he says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here Isaiah gives Ahaz the relational names of God. Here he gives him the names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the salvation names of God, how the Spirit of God will be poured out upon all of creation through these names where the name that is stronger than any other name where the righteous run and are saved because he is a mighty God. I want to focus upon the mighty God today. So can I pause my preach in order to teach for a minute? Is that okay? When Isaiah looks at Ahaz and he says the name mighty God, there is a plethora of things happening. Not only is he pointing to the coming Messiah that will be born 700 years from now that Jesus is mighty God, But when he uses the name mighty God, in the Hebrew, he is, if you will, reminding Ahaz of something that he's forgotten. When he says mighty God, in the Hebrew, it is the word El. It was a word that was so sacred that many Jewish people would never even utter the word. It is the word that means Yahweh that means Jehovah, that, that, that means I am. Somebody say, I am. So at the moment when Isaiah gives this name, he is the mighty God. I believe right then that the mind of Ahaz was stilled. And he began to reflect upon that name. That name that is higher than any other name. That name that brings provision and hope, that name. That name that helps you when you need help, that ever-present help in a time of need. Not an absentee God, but an ever-present help kind of God. I believe he began to reflect upon that name. I think his mind went to Moses. When Moses was in the desert, and the burning bush was there, and Moses said to God, who are you? What is your name? And God said to him simply, I am. At the most uncertain time in Moses' life, in a season of difficulty where he had lost everything that he had, his family, he's in a dead-end job, he doesn't know what to do, God shows up and says to him, when Moses is saying, where have you been, God shows up and says to him, I've got a plan for you. When Moses has been hanging out in the desert for 40 years, remembering every single problem in his life, and the reason why he's in the desert is because he's had so many problems in his life, and he's like, where have you been, God? I don't know why I'm going through all of this stuff. And, and God says, I have a plan for you. And Moses says, no, 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 I've made a mess of things. I, I, I've got too many problems, too many mistakes, too many difficulties. And God says, I am. That name is referenced over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. Can we talk about that name? Is it okay if we talk about that name? You see, because that name, Yahweh, that name, Jehovah, that name, I am, it means that everything that you are not, he is. Grab that. 
So here was Moses saying, God, no, I, I don't have enough of what it takes to do what you're asking me to do. I'm not eloquent enough. I don't have enough talent. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough strength. I have too much insecurity, too much fear. I just don't have enough. And God said, I am enough. I believe then Ahaz in his mind began to rehearse all of the times that the I am showed up in the history of the people of Israel. Because every time Israel had a problem, God would show up and say his name and whatever their problem was, whatever their lack was, he would attach that need to the end of his name. So when the people of Israel were sick and they were dying and they couldn't figure out why, God showed up and said, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals you. When David was all alone in the midst of the cave, feeling like he was a failure and that his life was over, God said to him, I am Jehovah-Rohi. I am your shepherd. When Abraham was in the journey going towards the promised land, a land that he knew nothing about, and he couldn't figure out how to make ends meet, he couldn't figure out how to make a way, and all of a sudden God showed up and said, I am Jehovah-Jireh. I am your provider. When Gideon had 300 soldiers and he knew that he was about to face 135,000 Midianites with 300 soldiers, all of a sudden God showed up and said, I am your shalom, Jehovah shalom, I am your peace. When the people of Israel could not fight for themselves, they could not defend themselves, they did not think that they would survive, all of a sudden God showed up and said, Jehovah Sabaoth, I am your defender, I will fight for you. Lord have mercy, y'all are not getting this, I feel like preaching. What Isaiah was saying to Ahaz is you don't need an alliance with another nation, you need a greater dependence upon the one who is the mighty God, because he is greater than whatever it is that you're going through. All you need to do is hang on to him, because because he's more. He is your hope. He is your help. He is your deliverer. He is your salvation. He is your healing. So you need to focus upon what he is. I don't know who this is for, but some of you came into this place today talking about the enemy that's surrounding you. What you need to do is tell the devil, oh no, no, not today. You're not going to have my mind. You're not going to have my relationships. You're not going to have my career because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if God is for me, then I want you to tell who can be against me because I'm telling you right now Ahaz what's coming against you cannot overcome the mighty God good Lord have mercy so how do we have the benefits of that Jesus today I wrote something down. Hang on a second. I want you to hang with me. How do we have, the, how does Jesus do that for us today? How does he? Well, think about this with me. That was a prophecy given for 700 years later. So can I connect the dots for you? If you go 700 years into the future, the gospels tell us about this Jesus who was born. This Jesus who came at the most uncertain time, the most chaotic time, the most fearful time, in order to save humanity and change the course of humanity, if you will. 
In fact, the Gospels tell us that he was born and placed in a manger. But you've heard me say this. He did not stay in a manger. That baby grew up and he lived a blameless life for 33 and a half years. And he suffered. He gave in to suffering, even suffered unto death on a cross. He was placed in a tomb, if you will. But on the third day, grace came out of that tomb. And if you'll remember last week, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, that we don't serve one who's not been tested in every way, just as we are. He was tested, yet he was without sin. Therefore, we can go before the throne of grace with confidence, knowing that his grace and mercy will be poured out upon us in our time of need. In other words, Jesus stood in my place. That's the gospel. Grace stood in my place. Grace climbed on a cross. Grace took upon my shame, my pain, my sorrow, my difficulty. You're not hearing me. That's what grace did for me. That's what grace is doing for me. Listen, you're not hearing what he's saying. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Is somebody going to help me? The Bible says that he has a love for you, and you have peace because of that love. The Bible also says nothing can separate you from the love of God, neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers nor sickness nor pestilence nor sword. Why? Because I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Jesus who loves me. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Why? Because he is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. Woo! He is Jesus. He is that gift. Somebody say, that gift. Let me go a little deeper. Because John's Gospels recorded some things that Jesus said where Jesus actually connected himself to the I am, showing us that he is the I am. Jesus made seven I am statements. The number for completion in the Bible is the number seven. He made seven statements, like when you are hungry, I am the bread of life. When darkness tries to come upon you, I am the light of the world. When you need another chance, I am the gatekeeper. When you don't know which way to go and you feel all alone, I am the good shepherd. When you are confused, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When, when death begins to rattle your cage, have no fear because I am the resurrection and the life. You're not getting this. What Jesus was saying is that every time you have a need, I am. When you don't feel like you're enough, I am. When you don't know what to do, I am. When you can't figure out which way to go, I am. When you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, I am. When you don't like the job that you have, I am. When somebody's been talking about you, I am. When when you can't figure out how to put your two pennies together so that you'll have $10, I am, I am, I am, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am your provider. I am the one who makes a way where there seems to be no way. I am that gift. Can I show you something? Let me show you something. Let me show you something. Hold on a second. Go with me to John Chapter 1, verse 16. John chapter 1, verse 16. So he's the great I am. He's the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the mighty God. That gift, that gift, that gift. How many of you love that gift? John chapter 1, verse 16. I'll just read it up there. It says, out of the fullness, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace. We have all received. Somebody say received. received. 
we have all received. Okay, two verses before, it talks about the gift of fullness. The truth and grace that's coming from the fullness of God. Now he's saying, out of his fullness, we have all received. How many of you, just being transparent, how many of you have ever received a gift and then you've re-gifted that gift? Come on, just raise your hand. Come on. I know there's more than that. I'm just telling you, I know. Like, have you ever had a wedding shower and you got like five toasters? The next wedding shower you go to, you give them a toaster. Let me tell you something. Regifting, the only time regifting is okay is when you regift Jesus. Are you with me? When you pass him along. Because out of the fullness we have received, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Now, hold on a second. If we've all received that grace, now listen, if that grace, we've all received it, wave after wave comes over us, and just as that wave begins to recede another wave, if we've all received that, what is it? Here's the question. I wrote this down. Are you living in the fullness of that gift? What keeps us from experiencing that? Are you living in the fullness of that gift? In other words, all of the properties of God and the blessing of his grace that's been gifted to you, are you experiencing those things in your life? Follow me. Because what's happening here in this conversation between Isaiah and Ahaz is Ahaz is looking for an answer. He's looking for an answer from God because of the situation that he has. Now, what you need to remember is, you, re you remember I said that sometimes I think we turn off the spirit of Christmas, if you will, because of the conditions of life. It's not an issue of, of you haven't caught the spirit of Christmas yet. It's that life has caused you to turn off the lights, turn off the grace, turn off the things that God is doing for you and in you and through you because you've allowed whatever is happening in your life to dictate to you how you're going to feel. Are you with me? So when Isaiah, all Isaiah is doing when he gives this prophetic word is reminding Ahaz of something that he previously knew, but he's forgotten. Ahaz is the king of Israel. He knows who Jehovah is. He knows who the I am. He knows who Yahweh is. And when he mentions the name Mighty God, all he's doing is causing Ahaz to remember something that he's already forgotten. The reason why you came today looking for a word, Ahaz, is because you've forgotten the word that God has already given to you. God has already given you a word, but because of life, because of the situation, you've allowed that situation to dictate to you how you feel. So you came today looking for a word because you've forgotten that the word has already been given to you. You came looking for a word in hopes that you would get a word because you didn't hold on tightly enough to the word that God had already given to you. Lord have mercy. For those of you today that came looking for a word, you've got to remember that God's already given you the word. In the 
beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made by Him, and nothing that has been made was made without Him. He's already given you that Word, His Word, His Word. His Word is more than enough. He is the mighty God. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. He is the great I Am. His name is Jesus, and He is that gift. Come on, somebody, get up on your feet and help me preach that gift. Look at your neighbor and say, that gift. How many of you in this place would say, that gift is the greatest gift? If you believe that gift is the greatest gift, then I want you to give him praise right now. I want you to give him uninterrupted praise for the next 10 seconds. Go ahead and give it to him. more than enough that gift that will meet you at your needs that gift that is not reliant upon your talent your time your resources your treasure but according to his supply and my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory that gift that gift where God looked around heaven and said I'm going to send to them a gift that shows that I have thought this out a gift that is great a gift that is awesome a gift that is grace a gift that is love a gift that is purpose a gift that's forgiveness a gift that's a second chance a gift that gift it's that gift and that gift's name is Jesus Christ that's the reason why we celebrate that gift is Jesus